The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Hi, this is KUCI 88.9 in Irvine. You're listening to Privacy Piracy with Mari Frank as your host. Let me tell you a little bit about Mari. She's a local attorney and privacy expert. She's also the author of a few new books. The two new ones out are From Victim to Victor, A Step-by-Step Guide for Ending the Nightmare of Identity Theft, and Safeguard Your Identity, Protect Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit. (laughs) Easy enough for me to say. Um, yeah. Hi. Hi, Mari. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We have a wonderful show this evening. We're really lucky to have an expert in technology. Let me tell you that we're going to be interviewing Joseph Ancinelli. Joseph is founder and CEO of Vantu. This is a company that provides data security software to protect confidential data. And, you know, in the information age now, when we're hearing about all the security breaches, this is really important for us. And, and we finally got an expert to speak to. Prior to founding Vantu, Joseph founded and successfully sold two technology companies, uh, Connectify and Trio. Joseph also holds four patents and received a B.S. in Applied Economics from the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. And he's testified three times in Congress, um, and just recently he, he spoke on protecting consumer privacy and identity theft. His most recent congressional testimony in March of 2005 focused on the issues raised by ChoicePoint and LexisNexis consumer data breaches. You know, that's what I testified on also in May. So uh, we have a lot in common in that way. In a hearing entitled Protecting Consumer Data, uh, Data, Policies Issues Raised by ChoicePoint, he also testified in uh, 2003 on the topic of fighting identity theft the role of the Fair Credit Reporting Act, and cybersecurity and consumer data, what's at risk for consumers. So we're very lucky to have him. He happens to be in New York, and we're thrilled that he joined us all the way from New York. Joseph, are you there? I am, Mari. Thank you for having me. Oh, yes. it's uh, Yeah, I, I testified also on ChoicePoint and LexisNexis and Axiom, so we were there just a couple months apart. Well, it's a, it's a big issue. It is a huge issue this year. In fact, I, I just read about several more breaches today in the paper. So what do you think is the biggest threat to consumer privacy, Joseph? Well, uh, the threat to consumer privacy um, really hits on multiple levels. I mean, there's a, there's a macro level threat, I think, to the whole country, which is the fact that we live in a trust-based economy. And if consumers don't trust the companies that they're doing business with to keep their information secure and private, it's ultimately going to impact the company in terms of our, our economy and our growth. And I think that today, the threat in terms of the data getting out really is changed. You know, 15 years ago, it was people dumpster diving and stealing receipts or stealing your mail. But today, with the advent of the Internet and all this information being stored electronically, um, it's really the, the big risk today is all of this information being stored electronically by all these companies and both either people trying to break into their networks to steal vast quantities of the information or even the people inside of the companies that have access to it who oftentimes either accidentally or sometimes even maliciously try to steal that data. 
Right. So tell our audience exactly what you do at Bontu and how you do work with companies to protect data. Sure. Um, we are an information security company, and we provide software to help companies really do um, enforcement of their policies for how data can be used. So, for example, is it appropriate for an employee to store sensitive information about a customer on a file server that everybody in the company can see? Should everyone in the company be able to see your or my financial transactions? Probably not. So how do you help companies understand where all that data is? And then secondly, enforce their policies for where information can be distributed. Is it appropriate for someone to use instant messenger to communicate to a third party and exchange your social security number? That's probably not the best means of doing that. Right. Um, those types of things. So really, how do you discover, monitor, and prevent the loss of data from inside of a company? Right. So let's talk a little bit about what responsibility corporations do have to, con to protect that consumer privacy. Yeah, I mean, it, it, companies have a huge responsibility. I mean, they are really, when they engage and a customer engages them in a relationship, a transaction with a customer sharing information, there's, there's an inherent belief that those companies will act as stewards, appropriate stewards of that information to, to protect it and keep it secure. So they have a huge responsibility first to their consumers, but they also have a huge responsibility to their shareholders because ultimately it will impact their ability for the company to be successful. Um, but now that said, I think everyone um, needs to know that security, and you have to have security first in order to have privacy, it really is a journey, not a destination. Uh, I don't think we'll ever eliminate identity theft or data breaches or any financial crime, just as we'll never eliminate physical crimes. Um, but ultimately, companies do have an obligation to do their best efforts to protect that data, just like a bank has to put in all the things they need to do to protect against bank robberies. Right. And we're seeing that with technology growing as it is, these fraudsters are, are really often quite ahead of the game, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. Uh, in, when I testified recently, uh, the Secret Service had testified, and there's also a number of experts uh, like yourself and others who've also talked about the fact that you know, identity theft really has become a crime that other criminals as well as terrorists are using. There's been research done that shows every major terrorist act had some, uh, some identity theft was part of that effort, whether right. it was just simply to get into the country or to really uh, do money laundering. And so it really has become a, a tool of criminals, actually, and, and that's pretty scary. Right. So when we've got all these false documents, even the 9-11 terrorists, every single one of them had false documents. And, Absolutely. And so we're seeing that. So, you know, we've heard about the breaches of about 60, at least publicly, about 60 million people. And I know of a bunch of privacy breaches with smaller companies that never even got in the paper. Right. <laughs> and um, so, you know, who knows how many millions of people have been affected by these security breaches. But why do you think that we are uh, seeing so many of them? Well, I think that if you look back 10, 15 years ago, the, the ability to have vast quantities of data stolen or breached was much more difficult because everything back then was either on like a punch card or, or a printed record for that matter. So today, the fact that everything's electronic and information can flow, with one click you can send out a million customer records, that's a big risk. And I think the reason we're starting to hear about these more is really a few years ago California 
passed a law requiring that companies notify consumers if for some reason an unauthorized person got access to their data. And that really spurred um, companies to start notifying their consumers when they had a breach. And since then, I think 20 or 22 states have also passed legislation there, as well as uh, the city of New York, actually. Right, and we're finding now that uh, the the Congress has been dealing with this, and in 2006 we're probably going to get some kind of a bill that deals with security breaches. Although, you know, we've talked in this program before about the California law. We had Jackie Spear here, and we've had um, Joe Simidian, who actually introduced the first legislation um, on, you know, SB, uh, you know, the, the security breach law. And we know that if the, the trigger, at least in California, the, for the California law was if there is an unauthorized person who, get, who acquires electronic information that has not been encrypted, and um, then there is a duty to notify. And um, what do you think about what Congress is considering a, a, a different kind of trigger, that the company itself would have the duty to notify if they believed that there was a reasonable risk of identity theft or reasonable risk of harm. There's, you know, there's about 12 bills right. in Congress right <laughs> <At> now. <least. laughs> yeah, so, so what are your thoughts with regard to that? Yeah, you know, I think that there's some macro-level comments about it. I mean, uh, you know, first, I think it's great, first, that Congress is recognizing that ID theft is a huge problem and needs to be addressed. I mean, it's costing the country a lot of money, both consumers and businesses, and we need to do something about it. Um, the things I like about what I've been seeing have definitely been that the bills are really trying to look at both sides of the problem, both the external threat and the insider threat, and I think that that's a good thing. I mean, they're trying to be very comprehensive in their approach for setting uh, setting a, a security standard. Um, I think the other thing that is helpful is that they're trying to set a national standard because cons confusion really is the enemy of consumer protection. So if we end up with 50 different state laws for how to protect consumer data, we haven't necessarily helped the problem. Um, and I think fourth, I think that it's important for folks to remember that the companies themselves, are, are they're not the criminals. Now, they're not the ones who necessarily are stealing the information. You know, take ChoicePoint, for example. They were a victim of a non-U.S. citizen posing as a legitimate business to get the data. I mean, ultimately, it was fraud. So the question specifically around you know, notice and when notice gets triggered, um, I think it's a difficult one. And, it, and what, what I think the debate is really trying to look at is when, to, when it's appropriate to notify or not. Because the, on one side of the debate, the concern is, well, you should tell a consumer all the time of any potential risk in any fashion. But at the same time, people are concerned about the whole uh, uh, boy who cried wolf, which is if every week you're getting a, a notice saying that potentially your data was compromised, I think it can actually limit the effectiveness of those, those uh, the notices. So I think finding the right language I think is going to be tricky, but I do think there needs to be a reasonable standard there so that we don't over-notify or under-notify for that matter. You know, Joseph, I think what's happened since, um, you know, when I testified in Congress, this was in May, on, on with Chase Point and LexisNexis and Axiom, and they admitted right there with the senators that they had all had security breaches in 2002, and as you know, the California law didn't become effective until July of 2003. And they did not um, reveal this at all. Right. And um, I, I am concerned 
that companies that don't have to reveal it, you know, they're worried about what are their consumer, you know, what are the, their customers are going to say, or in the case of these data brokers that you and I are not their customers, they're worried about their stock because obviously the stock goes down. Um, so that's a big concern for me. And the other concern is, you know, even though 60 million people have been, you know, uh, affected, we're not getting those uh, notices every day. And and the other thing that I've noticed that companies like yours are really going to benefit from this, you know, because <laughs> the truth of the matter is, is and, and I've spoken, you know, who Larry Poneman is from the Poneman Institute, sure. and I'm good friends with him, and he's been on the show, and I've had on, um, you know, a lot of people dealing with this uh, who are, you know, advising companies, and what they're finding is that companies don't want to be embarrassed so the effect has been is that the security breaches really will diminish because they're going to start doing things like encrypting and they're going to start doing things that are more protective so it's yes it's a it's a you know kind of a stick there uh with a little bit of warning but on the other hand if if they follow california law and they encrypt then they're really going to be protected from that embarrassment so I kind of see it as I think if we have a law like the California law, which seems to be working and seems to be affecting companies to be more protective and, and look to companies like yours and other companies that protect data, that in effect what's going to happen is, is we're going to have less security breaches. And, and if we have one, and if, if the companies handle it properly, I think that the consumers are going to be forgiving. So well, it's just a different perspective, I think. Well, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, in all of my testimony, I've always said that notification is important, and I agree with you on that. Uh, I think that notification is a key component to dealing with this issue. Arming consumers with knowledge so they can protect themselves is a key key aspect of reducing identity theft. Uh, you know, I, I think the, the only challenge is to figure out the right and the appropriate time to notify. For example, um, you know, there have been some notifications where you have a backup tape from a mainframe that gets lost in transit. The likelihood that anyone ever actually was affected because you need a mainframe to be able to look at the data is probably pretty low. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's both sides of the of, of the uh, the issue that I think just making sure we come up with something which is reasonable and works both for businesses and consumers is, is the ultimate goal. But, I, right, I, but again, right. a, absolutely, notification is a key requirement and it has made a huge difference right. in raising the awareness of this issue. And I think it, it also empowers our citizens to be accountable, that if you you know that you're in, your sensitive information, including your social security number, your birth date, your driver's license, those things that are, quote, you, supposedly unique to you, then you can take some action to put up some barriers. If you don't know, you can't take action, and you're much more vulnerable. So at least you can have a, a part in helping to protect yourself. Exactly. But, um, you know, how, how do you advise? I know you work with a lot of big companies, and, and I think that's great because they really do need the help. But um, how, I mean, the fact that we've had all these security breaches makes these companies a little bit more worried about protecting confidential data. So how do you really c- protect that confidential data besides, like, having audit trails and limited access? What are some of the other things that you, re- you know, that you recommend? Well, I think that there's uh, – there, the great thing is that I think companies are investing quite a bit in information security today. It's probably the one category of – information technology investing that has been increasing steadily over the past few years. 
people are making an increased investment, and I think they're focused on a, a number of things. I mean, they're they're focused on making sure that they have the appropriate protection in, in place so that only the right people get access to the data to begin with. And they're investing in things like like what we provide, which allow them to enforce those policies. You know, think about it, it's sort of like if we had, uh, we have speed limits all across the country, but if no one ever enforced those policies, enforced the speed limit law, probably everybody would speed. Right. And I think one of the things that companies are starting to see today is that growth of the insider threat and focusing so much more on not only worried about people breaking in, which is where they've invested over the last 15 years, but really focused on the issue of how do we deal now with the employees and insiders who have access to this data? Because if you look at the hundred-some-odd breaches that have occurred over the last year, about half of them have been related to insiders. Right. People either accidentally or sometimes maliciously doing something with that data. And I think you're, you're definitely starting to see a big shift in people's thinking about the insider threat being that big issue. So how do you how do you deal with that? I mean, one of the things that we tell people is, you know, if, if you have, if you're a financial institution or if you have sensitive information, make sure that you do a background check on the person who has access. But what about the persons who have never committed a crime before, but they have access, they have the opportunity, maybe they're having a bad time, and, and it's very tempting. How, how do you deal with that? Is it, do you have software? Or, I mean, what are, what are some of the things besides audit trails that, that you can use to, to protect people? Because that is a huge issue. Right. I mean, there was a number of incidents in New Jersey earlier this year where bank tellers were being paid 10 or $20 to give account records to a, um, uh, a collection agency, you know, the people that call you up when you haven't paid your bills. Right. And, you know, this was a bank teller. You know, they're probably, um, you know, not necessarily the most well-paid people, and here was an opportunity for them to make a little money. It turns out they were actually sending a lot of that information electronically out over the network. So there are tools like ours which allow to monitor when that sensitive data is going out and even to block it. You know, if you see a spreadsheet that has... 100 social security numbers from a bank teller going out over email, you're able to, using technology, to actually stop that message from going out the door. Yeah. And so things like that, basically investing in all the discovery and monitoring, automating of the, of the monitoring in real time, that's, that's, a, that's a big thing I think that companies can start to do now that they weren't able to do five years ago. It was a really hard problem to do, and we're finally catching up to being able to provide those kinds of things. Right. What about the, the IT um, supervisor. <laughs> exactly. Know? I mean, that's that's the scary part because I know even for me, you know, I have a computer consultant that does everything. And to be honest with you, I wouldn't know what he's doing to my computer if I didn't really trust him and know him for a really long period of time. Right. right. I mean, Maria, you know, you mentioned my previous companies. I mean, my, the, the previous company I was with, we sold a lot of software into call centers. And that's actually how we came up with the idea for the company was because we went into all of these call centers, especially a number of financial institutions, and you would give access to a lot of hourly, part-time, high-turnover workers. You'd give them access to the most sensitive stuff. Right. And And they needed it to do their jobs, but you need to trust and verify that they're doing the right thing with the data. I know, you know, in 1996, I became a victim of, crim- of identity theft. Mm-hmm. And um, what had happened was a woman got my information, and she was actually working in a law office, and she downloaded my credit report. And from that, you know, everything was on there, and then she could, of course, steal my identity. But, but when I think about who was processing this first credit card, um, 
the the application was so incongruent. You know what I'm saying? That these are promotional people who have access to social security numbers, driver's license, financial information of the person who's applying, and um, you know they're maybe they're promotional people hired on a temporary basis. Right. And so they have no loyalty to anything. And, and, you know, if you have an 8 to $10 an hour person processing this, do you want to spend the money to have a background check? And it's, Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's really, it's a, it's a real issue and it's a real challenge. Yeah, tell me. So this, you had these two companies, Connectify and Trio. What, what were they? Um, Connectify was an enterprise software company to help... Um, basically help companies leverage email and other web communication channels to automate either marketing or customer service to their customers. Hmm. And um, we sold to, you know, a lot of large, um, you know, Global 2000 companies, everyone from Williams-Sonoma to eBay to Charles Schwab to actually the state of California for that matter. Wow. <laughs> and so we, we basically centralized a lot of all this information to use it for good purposes. But when you do that, you create new risks around that data getting out inappropriately. Right. We're speaking with Joseph Ancinelli, who's founder and CEO of Vantu, which is a company that provides data security software to protect confidential data. And in this day and age, that is exactly what we need. And we need people like Joseph to help the average person who's not a techie really understand this. So, Joseph, you hold four patents. Tell us what those patents are. <laughs> oh, they're probably not as glamorous as one might think, actually. Um, it's just, um, you know, having started a couple of companies and worked with some really, really smart people, um, you know, it's just um, oftentimes when you're working with engineers and you come up with some new things and new thinking, you know, you get included in those patents. But to be honest, I, I should probably give a lot of that credit to the smart engineers that developed the technology. Uh, I was probably just in the room at the whiteboard taking notes, if, if anything yeah. else. Yeah, but you were smart enough to get a patent. so. They <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's important to protect ourselves. Yeah, but it is, and it's not easy to do. I know a lot of people who've tried to get patents, and it's, it's a... It's a it's a big uh, hurdle to jump over, so yes, that's for sure. Yeah. Okay, so, so t you know, you testified about these data brokers, and I again, uh, the reason I'm going to explain what these, or have you explain what these data brokers are, is that a lot of people don't know who ChoicePoint is right. They because they don't do business with them. They heard about them in the news, and, and who knows if they really listen. Or, you know, LexisNexis, the lawyers know because we all use LexisNexis all the time for do, to do research and get our books. And then there's Axiom, which most people don't even know about, you know, sitting there in Arkansas with, you know, millions and millions of, of data. So why don't you explain who these data brokers are? Sure. Um, maybe I'll, even before to explain what they do, maybe sort of put some context around it, which is I think the U.S. is in a very unique situation because consumers can walk into a car dealership, for example, and without giving really any money to the person, walk out the door with a you know, Ford Explorer or some brand new car. Right. And not have to actually give any money for it. And the reason we're able to do that here in the U.S. is because there is this back-end infrastructure which has lots of information about you, yourself and myself and everybody else about our, our credit history or about our transaction history or if you've filed for bankruptcy, you know, that's a public record that that's happened. 
And so there's been this growth of data brokers, information brokers, as well as the traditional credit bureaus like the Equifaxes and TransUnion and Experience that provide information to companies to allow them to make decisions to effectively loan and tr- loan you money and to trust you. you know, And to or, give you a job. <laughs> or to give you a job, exactly. Right, right. right. So there, there's this there's this wealth of information and knowledge that's been collected, many of it from public sources. Other it, when you agree to get use a credit card, for example, you agree that that information can be used for these purposes. And so these groups have grown up to help companies make decisions about your your trustworthiness, if you will. Now, the challenge is that they actually now have quite a bit of very sensitive information. Um, you, you know, you mentioned ChoicePoint. No one probably had ever heard of ChoicePoint a year ago for the most part very right. large company, but you and I as consumers, we didn't know who they were. And, you know, that's a lot of the services they provide. They provide the ability to get background checks and background information about people for whatever purpose, whether it's to hire them, whether to loan them money, or even the government uses it as part of um, trying to understand uh, threats from a criminal and terrorist perspective. Right. And and they have 19 billion files. I mean, huge volumes of data about people. I mean, right. it, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is astounding how much information they've collected. And I think that what's happened now is a lot of these issues have brought to light the fact that this is out there, and that's what's really driving a lot of this push in Congress over the last 12 months to establish a national data security law, regardless of the industry. Right. And, and one of the things that that I testified on, I think, was more the subject, and I don't know if this was the subject of your hearing as well, too, but it was dealing with the fact that um, Senator Bill Nelson from from Florida had introduced uh, S-500, which was dealing with setting up a framework for oversight for these data brokers because, for example, with the Fair Credit Reporting Act, you and I can get our credit report, and now we can get it for free, once a year from each of the three major credit reporting agencies, Equifax, TransUnion, and uh, Experian. All we have to do is go to annualcreditreport.com, and we can order it. And we can see it, and then we can even dispute if there's something on it, and we can correct it. Now, we don't have that ability with these massive databases that have these profiles on you and I. We don't have access to it unless you, you know, are working in an office where you can pull yourself up, you know, and get auto track or you're a private detective or a lawyer or real estate broker or something. You know what I mean? So that that was one of the issues that we focused on in that hearing was there was identity theft and also the fact that you can't even get that file. So that that was a huge issue in, in mine. And right now I have a client You'll love this one, Joseph. He um, he lives in Florida, and he found out that there is a man in New York who has used his name to commit felonies. And he's an IT expert, and I am right now, in fact, I had him on my show uh, a, a few weeks ago. Um, right now, we are in the process of trying to get the records corrected because the data brokers are selling this erroneous information and we have to try and get it corrected to get his life back. He's been out of work in his field since 1991. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's a huge issue. Um, and this gets to the whole question about giving consumers more control over their data. 
and <laughs> excuse me, it's a question of data brokers. But I, one of the things that, and this did come up in, in our hearing as well, and what I've always testified on is it's important that we approach this problem not from a specific industry standpoint, meaning that we should set a standard about the data itself. So if you have consumer information, if you have information about consumers, there should be certain things that you need to do to, A, protect it, and, B, give consumers the ability to know what you have and correct any mistakes. Right. Whether that's a data broker, a credit bureau, or a financial services organization, or a retailer. I think that that's, that is an important thing that we're starting to see in, in Senator Nelson's bill as well as some of the bills that we're seeing on the House, uh, Commerce, on the House side as well. Right. So tell us a little bit more about the testimony that you had in March that you gave. Um, sure. Uh, the hearing was uh, myself, the uh, uh, chairwoman of the FTC, and the CEOs of ChoicePoint and LexisNexis. And what we have said to Congress, even when we first testified on FICRA back in 2003, is letting them know that this is a huge issue around identity theft, and it's great to see two years later them actually starting to address it. Um, second is really making sure that any legislation covers both the external threat as well as the insider threat. And that has been something that I think has not been covered as much. I think people, the press, et cetera, really likes to sensationalize the hacker breaking into the network, you know, sort of that criminal rogue element. It's much right. more an exciting story to tell. Like the Kevin Mitnicks of the world. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Where, again, you know, 50% of the incidents have occurred over the last year have been re- related to insiders. And of those, almost 90% of them were accidental. Right. So that, that's a large number of, of incidents that need to be addressed. So we've been raising that issue. Um, and then the, the other things have been making sure that they set a national a national standard. Having different requirements in different states is way too complicated uh, and ultimately will hurt the consumer because it will be too difficult to figure out what's what's required and what's not required. So having a national standard, I think, will actually, one, help protect those citizens that don't currently have states with data security protection, but also help those in, in the states that do so that there's a common way that they're dealt with across the board. And the other thing I've always tried to say is any legislation should be both have both a carrot and a stick. It should have a carrot for companies to incent them to make sure they do the right thing and set a standard for them, and if they don't adhere to that standard, then we should use the stick. We have to remember that companies need to be partners in actually dealing with this issue because they too are victims oftentimes of people criminal elements actually attacking them to get to the data so let's not criminalize the companies if they haven't done anything wrong right right but there's a difference between doing something wrong and not doing enough agree you know even with choice but when we talked about that they were um, that they allowed you know this these bogus companies to go to Kinko's and they downloaded you know, sensitive information, it's because their policies themselves were not really up to par in that they, you know, they didn't verify the and authenticate who they were allowing to download. So maybe, you know, they weren't, Choice Point wasn't a criminal, but the point that they allowed this to happen really, you know, was, was more than just getting a hacker from outside, you know, doing a dirty. They, they really didn't do enough. So that's that's a problem when companies just don't do enough. 
But um, so you, you talked also about em, employee education. Tell us a little bit about what you mean by that when you testified, you talked about that there really needed to be employee education in terms of uh, consumer data securities. I think that if you, if you understand that basically day-to-day, if you're a large company, you have hundreds if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of people every day are dealing and touching and using all this sensitive information about consumers. I mean, some, some large corporations are the size of you know, small cities in the United States. And if you think about it and put it into that context of imagine trying to work with a whole city to try to get them to do the right thing with information, that's a challenging problem. You know, you can't just put something in the newspaper once and say, you know, here's how you should you know, do X, Y, or Z. Right. And so companies need to really think about this as a constant process of trusting your employees because you know, most employees are very trustworthy. Right? We don't have companies filled with all these malicious people stealing stuff. Trust the employees, but it's important to verify that they do the right thing. And at the time and the moment when someone does something wrong, either mostly accidentally or potentially maliciously, is to communicate to them. Explain to them the right way to do something. If they're sending a message out and not using encryption or some other secure way to send the data, well, they might need to be taught how to do that. Right? You know, you and I and everyone else, we're, we're creatures of habit. If I've been doing something the same way for the last 10 years, I'm probably going to continue doing that, even though I may have gotten a notice in the mail about you know, protecting all this information. I'll give you a great example of something that we found once at one of our clients. It was um, HR data. It was employee information, just as sensitive as customer information. Right. You have employee information that has social security numbers and whatnot. And every week or two, they would print out business cards for all the new employees. So there would be a process where someone in HR got a spreadsheet with the person's name, their title, their office address, phone number, email, etc. And that person would forward that spreadsheet to a print shop, you know, a local print shop, which probably not the most secure environment. You know, this is just a print shop. They're, right. you know, they're printing out things. It turns out in that spreadsheet, not only did it have their company information, it also had all their personal information. Mm. It had their social security number. Right. Their home address, everything <laughs> else. This has been going on for years. And the person had just didn't know. And using, you know, tools like ours, they were able to actually see that message going out and ask the person, what were you doing? Well, I do this every week. Well, do you know that this information was in there? And they're like, well, I didn't realize it was bad to send it out. Right. And once they told them, they said, well, you know, when you get that spreadsheet, make sure that data is not in there. Now they do that same process, but without sending out that sensitive data. Right. Again, reduce that risk through educating employees about the the right way to, to handle this data. You know, that is so important. I do a lot of training. This uh, a, a week ago, I was at the Department of uh, Financial Institutions, which is actually a California agency. And I, you know, I had several hundred people in the program. And to be honest with you, it, it surprised me that here they work with financial institutions. They do, literally, they do what they call examinations and audits and um it, the one good news was that they had me and some and some IT people in there training them. The thing that scared me is how little they really knew before we were done with the program. <laughs> and thinking that they are dealing with, you know, these financial institutions. And they were very shocked to hear some of the things we had to say and, and what should be done in terms of their own 
similar um, type, you know, privacy audits. I think, you know, when you talk about security, you can have security really without privacy. In other words, you can have um, data that's secure, but you have private information that doesn't need to be in there, right. like you just said. So I think, it, you know, it's an interesting issue that we, we need to talk about the privacy issue. You know, why do you have this data in there? When, when you're doing a business card, you don't need the birth the birth date. You don't need the home address. Right. You don't need the social security number. So it's a matter of educating employees like what you're talking about and, and having that kind of training and having a privacy audit. And, you know, that gets kind of expensive for um, for companies. But it's, it's you know, it's probably a, a, an expense that they really should engage in much more. I, I agree with you. I mean, this question of expense it's, I don't think companies or people necessarily realize how much it costs them if they were to have a breach. Right. If you look at a lot of the recent public filings of the, of the companies that have had incidents, the costs they're estimating range between 25 to even up to $100 per customer record in the case of a breach. Right. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, $25 or $100. But when you talk about 100,000, 500,000 people... Right. Affected. Even for a hundred thousand, twenty five times a hundred thousand, that, that's two and a half million dollars. Exactly. If it's a hundred dollars, it's ten million dollars. That's that's and, and, and future cost. losses perhaps if they don't deal with the breach in an appropriate way, you know, and then they lose business. Right. You so lose so that's people. future monies as well. Yeah, you lose customers. We did a, a survey a year or two ago where we asked consumers the first time you're notified that a company has somehow lost your data how many we just said would you stop would you continue doing business with that company mm-hmm. and almost a third of the people said they would basically consider not doing business with that company anymore and after the third notice more than 90 percent of the people said they would stop doing business with that company so that's that's a huge lost uh, customer base and it's more expensive to acquire a new customer than it is to keep an existing one so there's that cost plus there's the brand cost and you don't even understand that's really yeah, and hard their reputation to yeah the embarrassment cost all that but you know I, I had a question like you deal with a lot of big companies and and I get big companies but I also get small companies I hear about breaches in healthcare agencies I right. get calls from doctors you know doctors offices have a lot of information about you and um, whether the the breach is online or offline it's it's still equally going to subject you to the to the dangers of identity theft, and um, accountants call me. So, you know, what about the the, the little, uh, you know, business that is going to have to deal with with breaches? Like you said, that no matter what, whether you're a retailer, or a data broker, or a financial institution, we should have you know best practices that people protect consumer information. So does, is your software even affordable for, like, a small accountant office? I mean, sure. Um, and, and I think that the question, there's always that question of do you put the same burden on a small company that you would on a larger company to protect the data. And what I always tell people is if you're the consumer, if you're the end user, do you view that any differently? If your identity is stolen because of a small office, do you care? any less than if it was a large company? Well, the answer is probably no. I mean, if, if your data gets somehow stolen and you're a victim of identity theft because someone stole it from your local doctor's office, you want that 
company or that group or that office to take the same responsibility that a large company would because it's your data regardless. It's still going to cost you the same amount that someone opened bank accounts or whatnot. Now, that said, I think that what a, a smaller organization like a small office, an accountant's office, would have to do is probably much less comp- it's much simpler to deal with, actually. You're not dealing with, again, using that analogy before, organizations that are the size of small cities in the United States. Right. So, you know, what they have to do and the processes they need to put in place would be a lot simpler um, to, to actually do. But I do think it is just as important for those organizations to protect that data as well. And right. it could actually put them out of business more quickly than a larger company if they had an issue. Exactly. And and the embarrassment, I mean, you know, it, for example, a law office or an accounting office, your reputation is everything. Right. And so that's that's the hard part is how do they, when they don't have an IT specialist, you know, to, to know what to do. I mean, that's why I wonder, like, what kinds of um, software is available for the smaller office. I mean, that's, you know, it's it's just a whole different big. I mean, right. you really have that kind of stuff for smaller businesses as well that you can help? A- absolutely. I mean, we do, as well as lots of other companies, to be honest. Um, you know, Symantec actually provides quite a quite a few tools for, for small companies and very affordable appliances that integrate a lot of these security technologies into one uh, cost-effective and affordable platform um, that, um, that you know, small offices can, can easily deploy and manage. And there's even companies um, that provide this as a service, so they don't even have to have necessarily people that know how to run these things. They can actually have a third party. Um, do that as well. So there's, there's lots and lots of alternatives uh, depending on the size and sophistication of the company. Right, because I'm sitting here in Orange County and, and people in Newport Beach, California can hear this and Irvine and, you know, we're sitting on the campus of the University of California who, by the way, they've had breaches up, as you know, up in Berkeley and <laughs> in San Diego. And so, um, you know, this this is a challenge for companies. I mean, my and as a business owner, I always worry about this thing myself, and and as as a consumer, I'm concerned about it. So let's talk a little bit about email. Uh, what kind of culprit is email with regard to <laughs> to these kind of security breaches? Well, I mean, I, I would even go beyond email. I would just say the internet in general. Um, I mean, we live in a unique time today, where with click of the mouse, you can send out huge volumes of information in, in a mere second, where you couldn't do that before. Um, you know, I, I talked to one company that wanted to protect their technology. It wasn't actually customer data that they wanted to protect. And the guy told me this analogy. He said, you know, 15, 15 years ago, if you wanted to steal a chip design from this company, you had to walk out with a binder that was you know, 12 to 18 inches thick really hard to walk past a security guard with those huge right. binders, right? It, right. And then, never mind, they probably weighed 30 or 40 pounds, right? It's not the easiest thing to do. Right. But today, with the Internet, whether it's email or webmail or instant messenger or FTP or, you know, any alphabet soup of, of protocols out there, it's really easy for an employee or an insider with one click to send data out over the network. And, that's, and that's, a, that's a new risk that really has come up in the last four to five years as the Internet has exploded. And so companies need to do a couple of things. They need to make sure they first understand where all their data is. Where is it stored? You know, and who has access to it internally? Because if they, if they 
know where it's stored and it's protected appropriately, that reduces the risk of that information being accidentally sent out because you know exactly who has access to it. But even then, it's important to look at the information going out the door, whether it's email or instant messenger. We actually find that more than half of the confidential data going out with the companies we work with is going out over non-email channels. It's going out over instant messenger. It's people using their Yahoo email accounts. They're sending it to their uh, home address to work on at night. That stuff puts the data at risk in a major way. Right, and so you help them, I mean, in terms of your company, you help them to set up systems where that information is um, encrypted or it's, what, what exactly does your company do? What we do is we act almost like that security guard in that example I gave you before for the uh, physical world, but in the electronic world. We act as, as like a security guard that basically is looking at all the content leaving. So someone sends an email and in that email is a spreadsheet. And in that spreadsheet might be 10,000 customer records, social security numbers, driver's license numbers, et cetera. We're able to look at that and know that this person just sent out some social security numbers. And based on that, we can help them enforce their policy. I so see. the policy might be that you want to stop that message. Don't let it out the door. Right. It might be to immediately alert someone in in the security team or the compliance or legal team that this message went out. Or it may be, like you said, make sure that message goes out encrypted. Mm-hmm. It's okay for that data to go with a trusted third party, but it should go out encrypted. We can actually automate that process, and we work with a number of companies like PGP that provide encryption services where we can basically make sure that message gets sent out in a secure fashion. So it's all those things. It's it's monitoring, it's prevention, and it's enforcement of how that information should be going out electronically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so you do recommend encryption for, for sensitive information? It, when, so I think that there, encryption is a very, very important tool. And it's an important tool for making sure that when you're sharing data with people that it's okay to share the data with, that you do it securely. I do want to make sure that people know that it's not a panacea, though. Just because you sent something encrypted to a third party doesn't mean you should have sent it anyway. Going back to that example of the business cards, would it have been better if that data that was being sent out was encrypted? Yes. But it was even better that they didn't send it at all. Right. So it's, so it's important that people know that encryption is one tool in the process. They should absolutely invest in, in encryption and other technologies to securely transfer information but also make sure that they're monitoring the data that's going encrypted to make sure that whether or not it should be even going at all, whether it's not, whether or not it's encrypted. You know, when we were um, working on the security breach law here in California, the, even though we had built in that if the information, the sensitive information was encrypted, the company wouldn't have to disclose or, or notify, we all said, wait a minute, that's a big loophole if the um, Dirty insider is the one who has the key to unencrypt. Right. <laughs> you know, so so that's uh, that was the one loophole that we all talked about. But the idea was we wanted to do like what you were talking about: have the carrot and the stick. The carrot right. was, hey, if you encrypt, we're not going to use our stick. <laughs> right, right. So you know that that's and, and it's hard for the ordinary person. I'm thinking of these small companies now. Here I'm a lawyer, right? So I get people sending me sensitive information in email and I want to 
totally die, you know? And I said, either don't send it or encrypt it. Or, you know, at the very least, password protect it if it isn't that confidential. Have something in there that... But I think it's really a challenge for small companies to to use this, um, you know, this even PGP. You know, what is your experience with that? I do think that... Um, the the technology industry has a long way to go to make secure communications a lot easier. It is very, very complicated. It's getting better. And I do think that we need to make it as simple as sending an email message when you go into, I don't know if you use Microsoft Outlook or something right, like that. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Just as easy as, this, as, it, as it is to hit the send button and send it insecurely, we need to make it so that when you want, you can basically click, you know, send securely, just as simply, and the person on the other end can read the message without having to do a lot of work. And we have a long way to go until we get right. there. Because I don't think people realize that email, and, and so many people here, you know, on the campus, I know they, they put up websites with sensitive information. I've seen even my daughter, who's a, you know, goes to UC Santa Cruz, I've seen her website, <laughs> my son's. I mean, this is scary stuff, Joseph, that people, kids especially, are, they're growing up with this, and they just don't understand the privacy implications. I know that some of these websites I've seen, uh, like my husband says, um, they're never going to be able to run for any office ever in the future. Um, but, you know, the, the truth of the matter, this stuff is... Um, an email, if you're listening here and you're on the campus and if you're sending emails to friends, it is like a postcard. Yeah. And it can be seen anywhere. So you need to not put anything that's confidential. Sometimes I have people who will, you know, want to buy my books and they, they want to send me an email. Even though we have a website with, you know, the secure ordering with the lock and, and it's encrypted and all that stuff. Every once in a while I'll have someone just send me an email say here's my social security number here's everything here's my credit card here's yeah my charge. credit card and you know i had this one this is really funny because i had this um private detective who was putting on little seminars on identity theft and he wanted to order i have a book you know from victim to victor and it's a guide to ending the nightmare of identity theft and it has all the steps you take and he wanted to teach other um you know private detectives and it they were going to get some credit for it. And I said, great, you can buy these. And what did he do? He sent me his credit card in the email. And I wrote back and I said, never do this. If you want to order, call me or, you know, do it on our online secure order. Never do it like this. And he writes me back. He goes, gee, I guess I need a refresher course. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yes, I think you better read my book before you go and try and teach this. But, I mean, this is how oblivious so many people are. And we're talking about people who have sensitive information. We're talking about accountants, doctors, lawyers, dentists, all these people who have sensitive information in their files. And, and especially with HIPAA, they have a higher duty to protect this data, and, and they don't get it. And that's really uh, scary for you and I. Yeah. The, you know, the joke we always tell people is that it is amazing what people will put into an email that they would never feel comfortable necessarily leaving in a voicemail. But right. for some reason, they think email is more secure somehow. And if anything, it, you know, again, it takes a moment's notice, and that email can be forwarded around anywhere. Yeah, and, and it does get forwarded around anywhere. Absolutely. 
It, it was funny. One of the lawyers that spoke at this uh, Department of Financial Institutions was really cute. He got up and he said, I'm going to talk about the email policy because I violated it and I got in trouble, so I'm going to share it with all of you. <laughs> and what I put into an email that you are never supposed to do. So it, it was actually very cute. And he'd been a lawyer with the Department of Financial Institutions for about 13 years. But right. it was uh, I was real impressed that he would do that. So we're talking with Joseph Ancinelli, who is founder and uh, CEO of Bontu, which is a company that provides data security software to protect confidential data. And he has testified in Congress, and he is a, a great advisor and, and a, a good help to all of us. So, so tell me, um, what do you recommend that consumers do to protect themselves? Now, I, I don't want you to tell us about shredding because, you know, everybody knows about <laughs> shredding and I'm the shredding queen. Um, but tell us about really in terms of technology, if, if, we're, if we've got a bunch of people who are just not high techie people like your people in your company, what are some things that we should really be thinking about to protect our, our data? Right. You know, the, the thing I always tell people I, I, when, I, when I speak at a conference or in a large group about identity theft, the first question I actually ask everyone is, how much money and time do you spend every year to make sure that your car works well? You know, do you bring it in for an oil change every six months? Do you bring it in for service once a year? And most people, you know, they'll say, yeah, I do that. I, you know, every six months I'm taking it in. Every year I'm taking it in for a big service. And they'll spend hundreds of dollars to make sure their car runs properly. And people know and understand that they need to do that. Next question I always ask is, how much time and money do you spend to protect and monitor your credit? And it's amazing how few people think about that and actually invest in that. So I think that part of it is I think that people need to have a change in their mindset, consumers, you and I. We need to know and understand that our credit information, our, that information about us, is as valuable, if not more valuable, than the things that exist in the physical world that we invest a lot of money to protect. And that means that there is an obligation, and you should have a, you should have a personal responsibility to protect it. To be honest, this, the, the single most um, valuable thing that I think people can do is to not only get their free credit report from the three different agencies, as you mentioned before, but also potentially invest in a automated credit watch service. All the agencies, uh, all the credit bureaus actually provide these now, and, I, and I'm, a, I'm a customer of it. And I signed up for a service which basically emails me anytime there's a significant change to my credit or anytime someone actually tries to review my credit information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that alone is basically, for me, my, my personal monitoring of what's happening with my credit information and ensuring that... Um, nothing is happening out there. Yeah, you know, you should do all the other good things like shredding and take these credit card offers and don't just throw them back in the mail because that's, I mean, to the garbage because that's actually how a lot of people will steal credit cards and whatnot. But it really is just proactively monitoring what's happening and understanding what it is. And I'm, and I'm just constantly amazed at how few people actually do that. Well, I think more and more they're starting to understand it now that they have that right to get their credit report and there's right. been a lot in the media. I think... One of the things that, that we're finding is that, that these phishing emails, which come, and I've been getting some very, very authentic-looking ones, 
those are pretty scary because I almost, uh, I didn't respond to one, but I, but I almost thought it was real when I got this one from Chase Bank when I have a Chase credit card. So, you know, I think we have to be privacy conscious and um and everything we do and just be like i say be stingy with our information we shouldn't be stingy in this holiday season with you know giving money to good charities and helping people who were victims of the hurricanes and all that stuff but we definitely should be stingy with our information and uh looks like your company company can help at least the big companies and maybe some of the middle-sized companies to to be stingy with our information <laughs> too as well that's absolutely right well, we've been talking here with uh, Joseph Ancinelli, who is founder and CEO of Vantu. You want to give your website so people can learn more about the company and see some of your testimony and all that good stuff? Sure. Uh, people want to see more about the company, as well as you said, read the testimony. They can go to www.vontu.com, and there's lots of information there about how, the solutions we provide and how we can help companies better protect their data. Right, and at our website at www.kuci.org forward slash privacy piracy, um, you can see a picture, handsome jo Joseph Anzanelli, and you can also see some of his background, and we do have your website there as well in case you're listening and you forget it. And then within a very short period of time, you're also going to be able to listen to this interview. And so if you wanted to listen again, you could click on it and listen there. So we hope to uh, get to see you soon, Joseph. And we thank you so much for all of your um, wisdom that you're sharing with us today. And we wish you a safe trip home. Mary, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And thank you, too, for all the great work and you've been doing to actually raise this issue around identity theft and help people, both businesses and consumers, deal with it because it is a is a big challenge for us as citizens of this country, and uh, and uh, I appreciate it personally, and, and I appreciate you uh, spending the time with me today and inviting me on the show. Okay. Well, thank you, Joseph. Take care. All right. Bye. And you're going to be listening next week to KUCI.org, and every Wednesday you can join us on Privacy Piracy as we interview fabulous VIPs who know a lot about privacy. And in this information age, when you have – Privacy is vanishing. It is time to learn about it. So join us here at 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org, streaming live at uh, every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. Thank you, and thank you, Lloyd. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.